three, two, one. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Anyone Can Run podcast. The podcast for those brand new to running who want to make sure they begin their journey on the road to Gainesville on the right foot. I am your host, True Bros, aka Gabe, aka The Com Killer, it's a video game thing, just FYI, and I am an NCCA certified personal trainer who specializes in playing games, making gains, and helping clients reach their health and fitness goals. This is the podcast where we cover nutrition, training, running gear, everything you need to know about what it takes to complete your first race, whether it's a 5k, full marathon, or anything in between. Up to this point, we've covered races, running gear, race day nutrition, and tons of other topics on the podcast so far. All of them have been in preparation of tackling your first 26.2 mile run because I vehemently believe every human being capable of running should complete a full marathon at least once in their life. Since all of our episodes thus far have been focused on marathon preparation, today I'd like to cover something which I believe to be a little more fun, race day. We're going to discuss what to expect throughout the race day experience, from waking up to crossing the finish line, as well as on-course etiquette. First things first, if you listen to the inaugural episode of the Anyone Can Run podcast, you know I signed up for my first race with just a few months notice, despite never being much of a runner. I don't want to rehash that entire experience here. If you want to hear the nitty gritty, you can certainly pop back in the archives and check it out, but suffice it to say... Signing up for that race while being ear-prepared was one colossal mistake. I certainly don't regret it by any means as it fostered my love for running and inspired me to obtain my personal training certification. However, that experience was significantly more painful and trying than it should have been. Training for that marathon is also the reason I began this podcast, as I was on the market for concise information at the time and I personally felt as if I couldn't find any. But that's enough of a tangent for now. I bring up my first marathon because today we're talking about the race day experience and it's fun and exciting and you can get really hyped when you go to a race as either a spectator or a runner. That being said, we cannot trivialize the amount of training and preparation which should go into the months leading up to race day. You need to run and preferably a whole heck of a lot in the months leading up to a race. And if you listened to last week's episode, you know I vehemently believe there's no substitute for experience. Knock out all your high mileage training runs so when you actually get to race day, you can soak in and enjoy the entire atmosphere and experience and not worry if you're going to be able to cross the finish line. I just wanted to take a minute to emphasize while we're covering the excitement and jubilation surrounding the race day experience, if you haven't put in the work prior to lining up at the start line, Your confidence won't be rock solid, your body may not feel up to the task, and worst of all, you may not cross the finish line and secure the bling. To summarize, put in the work leading up to the race and don't play yourself. When discussing the race day experience, I think it's important to cover the day before the actual race because you don't want to overlook important details. Obviously, your nutrition should be on point not just the day before the race, but ideally the entire week before, and if you're really hoping to make some healthy and fit fundamental lifestyle changes for the duration of your race training. We've already done a deep dive into nutrition in a previous episode, so I won't get into the weeds again here, but let's do a simple recap. No booze, fried foods, 
anything covered in grease, and be sure to eat fresh fruits and vegetables, lean meats, whole grains, nuts and seeds, dairy, and fish. Additionally, approximately 60-70% to 70% of your calories should come from carbohydrates to ensure your body is adequately fueled for the task at hand. That's a real clean and quick primer on nutrition the day before running your race. And if you want to deep dive into the details, pop back in the archives and give our marathon eating episode a listen. In the days leading up to our race, we're eating nothing but healthy, whole foods. We're drinking a ton of water and we're not doing any real strenuous activity. Your dry run of your race day mileage, meaning the day you hit 26 or 13 miles in training, should be completed two to three weeks before your race. To break it down, if you're using a 30-week marathon training plan and week 30 is race day, week 26 or 27 should be the week you're running a full 26 miles. You want to ensure you get your body accustomed to high mileage so you aren't crossing that threshold for the first time on race day. Additionally, you want to ensure your body has adequate time to rest and recover prior to lining up at the starting line. Rest and recovery is an essential part of any marathon training plan, but that's an in-depth discussion for another episode down the line. Make sure in the weeks leading up to your race, you're sticking to your training plan, resting when necessary, and eating clean. We've covered nutrition and adhering to our training plan in the weeks and days leading up to our race, as I think it's of the utmost importance. But today, I want to talk about the actual race experience. While I always recommend a destination race for your first half or full marathon, I don't care where you sign up for your race. It can be put on by a large organizer, such as Run Rock and Roll or Run Disney, or be a smaller local race. I just want you to have a goal on the calendar you're working towards. As I'm a big fan of the two large race organizers I just referenced, I'll provide a quick rundown of what to expect when you first travel to the city where your race is and a brief calendar of events. Typically, large races such as half or full marathons take place on a Sunday morning or evening if you're running the rock and roll Las Vegas Strip at night, which everyone should complete at least once in their life. That means you'll be arriving in town at the latest Saturday afternoon. The reason for this is because most large races do not allow for packet pickup the day of the race. This means you'll need to pick up your race packet the day before or a couple days before running if you're making a mini vacation out of your race, which is something I absolutely recommend. Most of these races will have an expo where you'll go to pick up your race packet. And since we keep referring to this mythical race packet so much, let's detail what actually comes in it. Typically, you receive a race bib, a race shirt, four safety pins, and a litany of brochures and samples of various running snacks or gear. You may want to quickly throw on the race shirt before leaving the packet pickup area, as there tends to be a shirt exchange, so you can swap out the provided shirt if it doesn't fit correctly. Once you have your race bib and packet, you're pretty much done, but it's always a fun thing to go and check out the race expo. Just so you're aware, most of these expos are designed to funnel runners to pick up their race packet, then their shirt, then they send you out into the expo where you can buy tons of gear and junk. I'd recommend at least walking through the expo, as odds are you're going to see tons of stuff you'd never spend a cent on and a bunch of really cool gear that can be hard to find at decent prices. Little bit of a sidebar, when I ran the Rock and Roll Las Vegas half and full marathon in 2016, yours truly was still using a running belt. Due to my getting ready at the last minute, I packed my running belt, but neglected to include the accompanying water bottle. Fortunately, as I exited the race packet pickup area to the official Run Rock and Roll gift shop, there was a pretty dang solid running belt available, so I picked it up and used it during the race. 
I also went to a nearby mall and picked up a Herschel Pocket so I could slide it onto the belt, but that's another story for when we do a full recap of that race. Basically, while there are a ton of gimmicks being peddled by various vendors at every race expo, there's also a chance you'll find something incredibly useful and or something cool to commemorate your race. I normally pick up a small magnet for every race I run as it's a fun way to keep track of everything. I don't care how you spend your money, I'm not the boss of you, but you've heard me say it multiple times in every single episode, so I'm going to say it again for everyone in the back. Don't try anything new on race day. There are typically numerous vendors selling running snacks purported to boost your physical performance on race day, and while they may well be all in good, if you've never taken a specific supplement or snack throughout the course of your training, race day or the day before is not the time to try something out. Any little deviation from your typical diet can cause stomach issues or adversely impact your performance or body in some way. So do yourself a favor and save all the samples or snacks you pick up at the expo for after your race. Essentially, the race expo where you pick up your packet is all about getting hyped for the race and picking up some memorabilia. So take your family and friends with you, take tons of photos, pick up some cool gear, and then eat your healthy food, get a good night's sleep, and then get ready to crush your race. Like we discussed earlier, most races are first thing in the morning, so you typically need to wake up bright and early before the sun. That being said, there are always caveats to this norm. As we mentioned, the Rock and Roll Las Vegas race takes place at night, and I'm sure there are several others that do as well. I typically have my pre-race meal two to two and a half hours before lining up at the starting line, and that's because I'm going to guzzle down copious amounts of coffee to assist with digestion to ensure I'm able to use the facilities. Additionally, if this is something you're concerned about, meaning using the facilities prior to lining up at the starting line, there's no harm with using a digestive aid to aid with this process. I'm a big fan of minimizing the amount of things I put into my body. So the five nights leading up to a race, I tend to take psyllium fiber capsules with a bunch of water to ensure my digestive tract is running like clockwork. Not to get gross on y'all, but this is a concern every single client I've ever worked with has voiced to me. And while I'm not a certified nutritionist or dietitian, I will tell you what works for me. And that's taking pure fiber with a bunch of water. As I know I, like many people I've conversed with, struggle with getting enough fiber in my regular diet. Little bit of a tangent there, but you'll want to have your pre-race meal 60 to 90 minutes before lining up at the starting line to ensure you've adequate time to digest. I just always have mine earlier because of the reasons we just covered. If you want a deep dive into why my race day nutrition is what it is, pop back and listen to our marathon eating episode. But I always have a bagel, some peanut butter and honey because I just want some protein and some easily digestible carbs. Right before you head out, you'll want to roll out with your foam roller or lacrosse ball to ensure you're feeling loose and good. And then you'll want to catch a ride or walk or whatever to get to the starting line. You'll also want to attach your bib to your running shirt. And while race organizers instruct you to put it on the front, I always attach it to the side of my shorts because I want nothing rubbing up against my chest. Even with copious amounts of body glide, which is a runner's best friend, if you're running somewhere extremely humid, if you've got safety pins rubbing up against your chest, it's going to lead to a real bad time. Trust me on this one. I'm speaking from experience. As far as making your way to the start corral, there have been races where I've had to walk three minutes to get to the starting line, take a 45 minute shuttle, ride a packed monorail, and then go for a quick walk. So this particular experience is going to be unique to your race, but it's a crucial time to ensure you're fully dialed into the marathon mindset. 
However long that trek is to the start corral, know that it's perfectly normal to be nervous. By this point, you've already completed runs of a similar distance to that of the race you're about to dominate. But you'll see when you get there, it's not the same. The environment is just too different. After you go through the expo, and you see all your fellow runners, and hear the music bumping, and see everyone in good spirits, it's easy to get caught up in everything. But don't let that distract you from what you came here to do. During that trek to the starting line, remember, you may not have been here before, but you've sacrificed time with loved ones, skipped out on meals, endured a ton of physical and mental stress. You've witnessed your body change, whether it was visual or just knowing you're able to complete increasing mileage. The point is, while no one is going to complete a single step of that 26.2 miles or whatever distance you've elected to complete, it doesn't matter. You're ready for it. It may not be easy. You may feel apprehensive, but that doesn't mean it's not worth it. You've got this. As you can tell, that time leading up to the race is one I relish. It's where I'm alone with my thoughts and I have the opportunity to get myself ready. That being said, I understand this mentality isn't for everyone. If your mentality is better served in the time leading up to that race by scrolling fitness content, listening to music or whatever else helps you get in the zone like your Britney, then by all means do it. These few minutes are the calm before the storm, so to speak. So if you're by yourself, take advantage of it and do whatever is best for your mindset. If you're with someone else or with a group, I'd recommend you keep the conversation focused on sticking to the game plan. As we'll discuss in a minute, it's very easy to get sidetracked and caught up in the pomp and circumstance of the moment. Depending upon the race organizer, the staging area or starting corral experience can vary wildly. I love the streamlined feel of the handful of rock and roll races I've done, as there are typically porta potties right next to the starting corrals. This is a big luxury, as the combination of nerves and being hydrated means you may need to relieve yourself once or twice before getting in your start corral. While I love the run Disney races, I've ran several and I'm signed up for the 2020 Dopey Challenge, the fact restrooms are typically a few minutes away from the start corral is a pretty big annoyance, as you can't just pop out of your corral and use the facilities when you need to. Let's back up. I keep referring to start corral, so let's cover them very quickly. When you pick up your bib, it typically has a single or pair of either numbers or letters to designate your starting corral, which is just a large holding area all runners line up in. Typically, they are held together by those metal pedestrian barriers. These corrals are the order in which runners are released to the course. So corral A will kick off the race, B will follow two minutes or so later, C two minutes after that, and so on and so forth. If you're running a run rock and roll or run Disney race, the corrals typically have large balloons or lights so they're very easy to spot from a distance. Official start times for races are typically for wheelchair athletes and those in the first corrals. So if you're in corral J, odds are you'll actually begin running the course 20 or 30 minutes after the official race start time, so plan accordingly. Especially if you're running a run Disney race. If you're in a later corral and you line up in your corral prior to race start time, there's a pretty big chance you're going to be standing around for an extended period of time. As the run Disney races, space out each corral for what feels like 5 minutes, but in reality is probably significantly less than this. Run rock and roll races have around 90 seconds between corrals, so the pace feels much more streamlined. Since you're running with thousands of other people, unless you're at the very front of your corral, which I have been a couple times and I absolutely recommend making your way to the front if you can, you typically don't line up at the starting line. 
odds are you'll be running or walking briskly across the starting line just due to the sheer volume of humanity. For the couple run Disney races where I was in the later carouse, I couldn't do much besides walk the first couple miles because the course was so packed with additional people, just so you're aware. Corrals are typically sent off with a blaring alarm or blasting music or fireworks so you can start the race off with a hype level of 100, but you absolutely want to be focused on your game plan for the race. If you're planning to maintain a certain pace per mile or are doing a variation of the run-walk method, don't let the atmosphere and excitement of the starting line throw you off your game. Stick to what brought you to the dance and don't deviate from how you've been training. When I recapped my first race on our inaugural episode, I mentioned how even though I was planning to use a 5 minute on, 1 minute walking, run walk ratio, I ended up just running the first 3 miles or so because I was feeling so dang good and because I was loving the environment. That was a mistake I haven't made again as my body wasn't accustomed to that continuous pace at the time and I believe that to be a contributing factor to my tiring out much sooner than anticipated. Every race you run, whether it's your first, 5th, 15th, 50th, is going to be a whole heck of a lot of fun, and you should absolutely enjoy it. However, when running your very first race, your only goal should be to cross the finish line in the upright position, so I'd recommend sticking to your game plan like glue. Once you complete your first race, you'll have that experience of knowing what works for you and what doesn't so you can adjust in the future. When running your first race, if you want to turn on the jets or put a little mustard on it or otherwise run faster than your training pace, I'd recommend not doing so at all, as the last thing you want is to get an unexpected cramp. Every race course is different and every runner approaches a race in their own way. However, there are certain things you want to be cognizant of while you're completing a gnarly 13.1 or 26.2 miles. First off, make sure you're getting your carbs and water at whatever interval you found works best for you during your training. To recap from our marathon eating episode quickly, I normally have water and a combination of water and carbs every 15 minutes while running, although I skip water pretty frequently if I find myself on the cusp of becoming too full. You absolutely want to ensure you're adequately fueled and hydrated while pounding the pavement as you do not want to hit the dreaded wall where you're gassed and unable to run another step. Since we're talking about the snacks we're going to be munching on while running, and typically these come in some type of wrapper or container, now's a good time to shift gears and discuss the etiquette portion of today's episode. When running a marathon, I use a handheld hydration flask and a flip belt, and you'll recall from our running gear episode I used to run with a hydration belt. The reasons for this are twofold, to cart around my mid-run eats and always have my water accessible. I'm a big fan of Jelly Belly Sports Beans because the pouch is resealable and they are delicious, but I normally run through a couple packets over the course of a race. So what do I do with the wrapper when I finish them? If I'm at an aid station, I toss it in the trash. If I'm mid-run, I stow it in my flip belt until I get to the next aid station, although there have been a couple times where I just leave them in my belt and have ended up accidentally washing them. I bring this up because as new runners, our goal is always to cross the finish line of our half or full marathon or whatever race we've signed up for in the upright position, but we're still intelligent, civilized adults. Nothing pisses me off more than running a race and seeing a plethora of paper cups, plastic wrappers, and all types of trash near a receptacle and not actually in it. 
you'll see people throwing cups handed out by volunteers who got up at the crack of dawn just like you did, except they aren't getting a medal or checking something amazing off their bucket list. They're handing out refreshments to you out of the goodness of their hearts. They toss it straight on the floor when there are always, always tons of trash and recycling cans after hydration stations. Sure, the first three or four cans may be filled to the brim, but the eight or nine after them aren't. Even if you're running and trying to qualify for the Boston or New York Marathon, which, as a new runner, should not be your goal, does it really take that much effort to hold onto your cup for a few more steps and toss it in the trash can? I've got a handful of models I live my life by, and one of those contains a mild bit of profanity, so cover your ears for the next five seconds if you've got little ones around. Don't be a dick, be a dude. If you've trained and signed up for the Herculean task of completing a full marathon, you're not a child. No one should have to clean up after your mess. Have some respect for your fellow runners and the generous volunteers and dispose of your trash like an adult. The next part of race etiquette pertains more to your actual running than anything else. On a race course, you've got to be comfortable because the only thing you're competing against is the clock and the course, not another person. If you're running with a large group, don't run more than two people side by side. There's always someone faster on the course, and you're going to be clogging up valuable real estate. Your goal as a new runner is to complete your race in the upright position under the time limit, nothing else. If that means you need to run with music, go ahead. It personally never bothers me when people are running with a Bluetooth speaker blasting music, but I can certainly see how your fellow runners may find it obnoxious, so I'd advise against this practice. Besides, I personally advise all clients completing their first race to run without headphones unless absolutely necessary. And again, if something is absolutely necessary, it's possible you may be using your music as a crutch, as we discussed in the Marathon Mindset episode, which is all the more reason to run without headphones. There are a couple reasons I advise runners to complete races without headphones. Chiefly, you're going to be surrounded by a ton of people and there may be audio announcements throughout the course, so it's an intelligent move to ensure you're able to hear everything around you without needing to remove your headphones. Secondly, there tends to be live music and entertainment scattered throughout the race course if you're running a marathon with a large organizer, and hearing the various forms of entertainment off in the distance can serve as a fantastic motivational tool. Little bit of a sidebar there, I know, but running without headphones is something I advise all new runners to do when tackling their first race. Like we were saying before that tangent, your goal is just to complete your first race in the upright position. If that means primarily power walking, do your thing. If it means running continuous at a steady pace, more power to you. If that means using a variation of the run-walk method, which is something I advise every new runner to leverage, then you'll want to notify your fellow runners of any abrupt changes in pace. You can do this by simply raising your hand for a couple seconds when you're going to begin walking or running. Quick sidebar I'll dive into detail about when I recap my dopey challenge. I collided with a lady who did not do this during a 5k and ended up rolling my ankle something fierce. So needless to say, the minimal effort required to raise your hand to let those know around you that you're about to change pace can have quite the impact. Think about it, you're running and you're maintaining your pace and somebody in front of you just stops, that's not a good time. Don't be that person who impedes another person's gains. Just put your hand up for a few seconds whenever you're going to have a sudden change of pace. And even if you're on the course with fellow runners who are brand new and are unfamiliar with this process, odds are after a few minutes on the course, they'll see it so much they're going to learn real quick. 
That's pretty much the on-course etiquette portion of today's episode. Try not to have your music blasting and disrupting your fellow runners. Don't line up side by side with more than two people. Don't throw your trash all over the place and put your hand up to let your fellow runners know you're changing pace. We've briefly discussed the concept of listening to your body before, but there is no time where that's more important than on the race course, as all of your training was to get you there. You know what running a marathon or race consists of. Drinking water, eating light snacks, maybe going to the restroom, being real tired and sweaty, and a whole lot of running. But a litany of things can go wrong, even if you're the most prepared person in the world. A little more than halfway through my first marathon, which I'll readily confess I was ill-prepared for, I felt an ever-so-slight twinge in my right calf. A hard lesson I had to learn during training was listening to my body, and because of that, I spent the majority of the final 10 miles of my first race walking. Let me break it down quickly to give an example of the thought process behind this. Have you ever felt something where it doesn't physically hurt, you're not in pain, but it doesn't feel what you'd consider normal or typical? Back when I first began lifting weights, I'd often tweak my wrist or back due to my poor form. Sometimes I'd overextend, not maintain the neutral arch in my back, whatever. And while it never led to what I'd call pain, afterwards I'd feel a little stiff and otherwise not 100%. Everyone's heard the old adage, no pain, no gain, right? Well, that's just a stupid thing to say. Being able to tell the difference between pain, when something hurts, where you're physically hurting, and being sore or knowing when something doesn't feel natural is incredibly important. When I completed my longest run prior to lining up at the start line of my first marathon, I felt a similar twinge and pushed through like I had always done prior, and I ended up being hobbled, limping to my car, and not being able to run much in the weeks leading up to the race. If you feel something and it doesn't feel natural, take a minute to feel it out. It's possible it may be nothing, maybe you just need to walk it out, but it's possible it could be something severe that should not be ignored. You're the only person on planet Earth who knows how you physically feel, and if your body is indicating something doesn't feel natural, be sure to pay attention. There's nothing easy about completing 26.2 miles continuously in the upright position, but with adequate training and preparation, your body can knock it out. The race day experience is all about pushing forward, easing off the throttle when you need to, listening to and fueling your body as necessary, and not quitting when you're tired and worn out. Do what you need to from a mental perspective. Put in the time to adequately prepare. And once you cross that finish line, I'm here to tell you, one of the best showers you'll take in your life is the one after a marathon. So if you're traveling to a destination race, which I absolutely recommend, be sure to pack some soaps you're a big fan of so you can enjoy that quiet time post-race. Prior to that, though, once you cross that finish line and secure that bling, soak it in, man. Take all the photos you want and have fun with it. You are now a marathoner. And odds are, there aren't many people you've met in your life who can say the same thing. Completing a marathon is a life-changing experience. And it's one you absolutely can accomplish. I appreciate you spending some time with me today. And I hope you're seeing what I see, that truly anyone can run. We drop a new episode of the Anyone Can Run podcast every Monday in case you're in need of that Monday motivation. And yours truly drops a new video on YouTube and accompanying post over at TrueBros.com every workout Wednesday where we're covering food, travel, gaming, tech, and all types of wild stuff in between. If you've ever got questions or ideas for a topic you'd like covered in a future episode, feel free to hit me up on Instagram or Twitter at AnyoneCanRunPod. 
We also like to open the Twitch gym, located at twitch.tv slash live randomly, so be sure to follow and turn on notifications if you ever want to talk running or anything else with me in real time. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Anyone Can Run podcast, and if you did, you can rate, review, like, share, and subscribe. If you didn't enjoy it well, you get what you pay for, and regardless, I look forward to seeing you on the road to Gainesville.